As moms, we often wonder, am I doing enough for my kids? I'm here to tell you, you are super mama. That's because we have an undeniable superpower, our intuition, and it never steers us wrong. I call it our mom sense. Hi, I'm Kanika Chadda Gupta, and I'm the host of That's Total Mom Sense. I'm a journalist, entrepreneur, wife, and mom of three, twins plus one. Now, if I had a dollar every time I heard, gee, you have your hands full. On my podcast, I interview influential moms from various industries and cover topics that all first-time parents grapple with, from getting your baby to sleep to screen time allowance, your new normal in your marriage, and how to dedicate time to yourself. Learn and laugh along with that total mom sense. This episode is for the mompreneurs in the audience. So you have your newly launched brand and have taken it to market. You're seeing steady growth, are consistently posting compelling content on your company website and social media channels, and are engaging with your audience in an authentic way. Last week, we talked about creating a buzz and establishing your brand credibility through event production with veteran Rachel Page Goldstein. Today, we're talking about all things legal related to your business. Enter author, attorney, advisor, speaker, and idea acupuncturist, Anjali Kumar. Anjali works with entrepreneurs and C-level executives in all stages of business, focusing on early stage tech, consumer products, and luxury fashion companies with a social conscience. She recently co-founded the Justice Department, a women-led firm focusing on legal counsel and business strategy for female entrepreneurs, executives, talent, and brands. Prior to that, Anjali was the founding chief people officer and general counsel at Cheddar, the founding head of social innovation and founding general counsel at Warby Parker, founding general counsel at Acumen, and senior counsel at Google. While at Google, Anjali curated and hosted the At Google Speaker Series on the New York campus, bringing Googlers from around the globe face-to-face with today's most prominent and innovative thought leaders, including Anthony Bourdain, Questlove, and Jacques Pepe and hosted a YouTube interview series, Lunchtime at Google. Anjali's TED Talk, based on her book, Stalking God, My Unorthodox Search for Something to Believe in, has been watched by over 4 million people around the world and has been translated into over 20 languages. A television show based on her book is in development. Anjali earned her BA in Biomedical Ethics from Brown University and a JD from Boston University School of Law. She's an adjunct professor at Columbia Business School and Fordham University and continues to advise nonprofit organizations, including the Malala Fund and IDEO.org. In 2016, she was appointed by Mayor Bill de Blasio to join the NYC Children's Cabinet Advisory Board and Grow NYC. Anjali currently serves on the board of directors of Happy Money, Women's World Banking, Glow Science Professional, Amplifier, Edible Schoolyard NYC, American Documentary, and the Guggenheim Museum's Global Innovation Council. She lives in New York City and upstate New York with her husband and daughter, Zia. Anjali, thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. So take us back to your childhood. Do you find that you grew up in a traditional Indian household? Very much so. (laughs) I very much so grew up in a traditional Indian household. Um, I grew up in the suburbs of Chicago. I was actually born in Brooklyn, but then raised outside of Chicago and spent all my formative years there through high school. Um, And my father is a doctor. My mom stayed at home. She's a painter, artist. Uh, I have a sister who went to med school. 
I mean, like as traditional as a first gen Indian could get in the 70s. Absolutely. Yes. And, you know, what was a typical discussion at the dinner table for your family? Mm. Well, that's a really interesting question. I would have to really think hard back to that. It was probably about school, like yeah. about whatever happened at school that day. Mm-hmm. Um, we weren't a family that was sitting around discussing politics of the day. Right, kind of right. Um, which is contrary to my husband, who apparently had big political debates in his traditional Indian household. But yes. My family was not that family. We were talked about school and what was going on with our lives. My parents were really interested in the day-to-day of what we were up to. Sure. And what are some of the lessons that they taught you and how has that shaped you into who you are today mm-hmm. the big thing that they taught me is to always work hard uh, to always be kind to people um, to be a very gracious guest uh, I think those are the big things yes absolutely and I feel like that's um, so rooted in in our culture yeah you sure. know oh they taught me to take my shoes off when I enter the house yeah. <laughs> which that's I still true. don't get why people don't always do yeah I know you know. tracking dirt into the house yeah, yeah. it's like mm-hmm. oh, in New York City like, yeah take your shoes off exactly <laughs> that feels like the biggest thing we taught me and the most right. important lesson anyone should learn. Right, absolutely. <laughs> In your talks, you often deal with questions about innovation and diversity. As an idea acupuncturist, you bring a spiritual approach to the business world. Tell us how that works. So it, it works um, in that I sort of look at the whole corporate body when I'm evaluating something. So I don't come in with a set of assumptions about how the business works or a set of assumptions around what you're telling me is the answer. So mostly what I do now is advise companies and I do some limited legal work for a few select clients, but I look at the entire entity and look at really what's going on. So if you're telling me the problem is X, Y, and Z, or the problem is this performance issue, or the problem is you know the numbers in a certain division, I'll kind of step back and look at everything and see what's really going on. And so I think that the spiritual piece of that is really more, uh, I'm somewhat industry agnostic, so I don't look at only one specific industry. I think corporations and nonprofits and all of it's ultimately kind of the same stuff. It's all just dealing with a different widget, but you're kind of making, you know, the basics of business kind of the same and the threads of people and how people interact and how businesses work Mm -hmm. or don't work are sort of common across life stage of a company. Yes. Um, So it's really looking at that kind of total corporate body. So the the joke of an idea, acupuncturist really started because I was going to TED years ago and they asked for your title and I was at Google at the time. I was a lawyer. And so I was like, well, putting a lawyer at Google is a really uninteresting business cards so I have to come up with something more clever. It was right. before like the days of chief, you know, chief ninja officer or whatever. Yes. Like it was before all those sorts of things. Yeah. Um, so a friend of mine was like, oh, you know what you are though? You're kind of like an acupuncturist of ideas. Like you go in with like your legal contracts or with your idea about something or your diagnosis of a problem and then it sort of unlocks the energy of that part of the company. I was like, wow. oh, I like that. I'm an idea acupuncturist. So I love it. Yeah, it started as a joke and then I put it on my business cards for Ted and I put yeah. it on my name badge at Ted and it got so much love at Ted which is like such a sad thing but they, yeah. you know, they a lot of people. and then the editor of Wired at the time tweeted that it was his favorite title he had seen at Ted and so oh, it just sort of cool. stuck and so yeah, it sort of became a joke but yeah. it was a joke but sort of stuck yeah yeah that's awesome and I mean acupuncturist you're really pinpointing those pain points yeah that's right. <laughs> so yeah very metaphorical there um, okay so tell us about Google 
firstly, and what your efforts and where your energy was when you were working there. Yeah, so I was there for about six years, and I was there from 2007 to 2013, so exactly six years, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was mostly on the legal team, so I was working as senior counsel on Adnav Technology, so basically anything across the business in North America that was making money at the time, so okay. everything from um, the big advertising relationships or agency relationships to YouTube, once we bought YouTube and integrating that and figuring out how to monetize that, I was on that team. Sure. Um, mobile, you know, data stuff, um, some privacy stuff, it was kind of everything yes that's really cool yeah as an aside my husband's at google oh really yeah he's a product manager on the um double click rich media oh yeah and so you know neil mohan was the yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So double click the, the guys the two lawyers from double click were part of our team oh so wow. they, they, we bought double click in the yes when i was there yeah 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 he's still there and, and loves being in chelsea oh, <laughs> no, it's, yeah, it's a great thing yes, it's yes, really great yeah, he really enjoys it. okay um and let's see tell us about um, you know, when you kind of made moves and became founding general counsel at Warby Parker, like what kind of interested you in the startup in particular um, and to join them from the ground up? So I met Neil years ago, actually, when I was the general counsel of the Acumen Fund. Um, he was running a nonprofit that we funded. And so he just remembered me from that time. He went on to business school and then started Warby Parker, as most people know who follow yeah. that space. Yes, yet, of course. Uh, with a bunch of friends. And then when it came time looking for a general counsel, so I think he remembered me. We ran into each other at a tech conference in the meantime, and he reached out. I was like, well, would you consider taking on this opportunity? This is what we're looking for. And I actually said no. Mm. And I was like, well, I might know some people, so let me think about it. He said, well, will you at least meet me and talk about it? So I took the meeting. So lesson number one, always take a meeting because yes. you just never know. Right. And we caught up and he started telling me all about what they were building in the business, where they were, the trajectory, the life cycle of the company, um, and what they needed for the lawyer. And then to sort of sweeten the pot, he was like, well, you could do a second job too. You could be the head of our social innovation efforts. And because my background prior to Google is actually a nonprofit, uh-huh. um, and he knew that because we had worked together when I was at a nonprofit, right, I right. was really intrigued by that opportunity mm. and the idea of combining business, doing good business, but doing good in the world and what that could look like in a day-to-day way. Right. Um, and so I was super intrigued and I was like, all right, let's do it. So <laughs> I left, you know, what was a really innovative tech startup to go to a company that was really breaking the mold of how consumer products were sold. Um, and not that it was a technology company, but it sort of behaved a lot like a tech company. So right. it was an interesting, transferable you know, skill set in a way in terms of being nimble and things moving fast and all that kind of thing, mm-hmm. um, but still wearing a legal hat for a long time. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, now tell us about the Justice Department. Sure. So that's the most recent venture that I co-founded last year with a colleague, JJ, uh, who continues to run that show. Uh, but the Justice Department was is really to focus on women entrepreneurs, creatives, executives, and the idea behind it, um, from my perspective at least, was how do we take all the things that I've been doing my entire career um, and turn it towards women? So I've made a lot of men very rich. Not me personally, but right. me as part of a big team that yeah. made a lot of men very wealthy. And there, you know, there's some really good men that have made a lot of money on my back and I feel good about that. But mm-hmm. what does it look like if I can direct some of my time and talent towards women entrepreneurs and help them in that same way? Um, and I feel like what it looks like is it changes the power dynamic because yes. money is power and um, if we can change where money lies then we change a lot of other things in our mm-hmm. society we change who's elected in this country we change uh, the social issues that we have to deal with we don't have the same 
climate change issues are the same. Children, homeless children issues, like we don't have a lot of the same issues that we currently have because men are in control. Right. So that was, you know, at least my interest in co-founding the Justice Department. And as well, that chugs on. Uh, what I'm doing now is a broader base than that. So it's not exclusively women, but most of my clients end up being women, people of color. And there are some great men that I'm working with too. Sure. So my role is more of a no asshole role than a specifically only women <laughs> I role. like that. So I think I sort of disproportionately fall into the women, people of color sort of bucket because yeah. more of them tend to not be assholes and right. um, are willing to seek out my help. Yes. Uh, but it's really advising them on anything that they need to help their companies soar. Sure, sure. And so who are some of your ideal clients, those who are listening? Hmm. My ideal clients, you know, it's been really lucky. It's been a lot of word of mouth. So I haven't really hung up a shingle mm-hmm. looking for companies to advise. Right. Um, I'm industry agnostic, as I said earlier, but I, mm-hmm. so being industry agnostic is everything. I cover everything. So it's all the, in terms of the companies I advise now, I'd say I'm probably advising about a dozen companies. Uh-huh. Um, everything from a direct-to-consumer lingerie brand to a CBD company. Uh, so it's kind of all over the map. They tend to be earlier stage. So that's more my sweet spot is kind of a series a pre-seed to a series a is kind of the the right place i think to bring me in as an advisor right um i'm on a few boards those are later stage companies and they were from like a b to a d the operating roles i've had have certainly been later stage if they're bringing in somebody um, at my level it's usually later stage like series b cd yes. somewhere like that yeah um and then on the legal side it's again all over the map i haven't taken on a ton of legal clients i'm being pretty selective in who i represent um so it's more kind of word of mouth. Sure, sure. And so for the entrepreneurs who are listening, um, what are some of the, I guess, legalities of the business that a general counsel, you know, helps with? Gosh, it's really everything. Yeah. Literally be anything under the sun. I don't think it's reasonable to expect your general counsel to know absolutely everything. The word general is is quite key in the description of counsel. Sure. Um, At least a good general counsel, I think, should be a little bit like your GP. Yes. Um, Not, you know, the person you're going to go to for a heart surgery or to deliver your baby but like the person that you're <laughs> helping to tell you hey I think you're pregnant and you should probably go see somebody about that like yes, that kind of thing I like that right? so that's how I think of a general counsel and right. I personally happen to have a deeper expertise in the area of tech obviously having worked at Google for so long yep. or in consumer products mm-hmm. worked at Warby so long you know like there's worked in media for a while so something around that so I happen to have a deeper uh, bench strength in certain areas sure. just because of the time I've spent on it but I don't consider myself like a copyright expert yeah. or you know, a trademark expert no, no, no. Yeah, I, that makes sense. I, I love that it's an overarching um, kind of view that you can provide um, the CEO and really be their right-hand woman um, through the process of, of growth. That's really great. You've got a book, Stalking God, My Unorthodox Search for Something to Believe in, and you've given a TED Talk called My Failed Mission to Find God and What I Found Instead. Um, and in it, you explain how you know there was a point in your life where you were spiritually homeless. Um, you know, you grew up in a family that was Hindu and Jain, Mm -hmm. yep, specifically. Um, and then there was, you know, the concept of non-absolutism, which you explained. Um, you want to just touch on that a little bit? Sure. I mean, basically the concept is that no one can hold uh, absolute knowledge of truth. Right. Even when it comes to religious. Right. And the onus is to become godlike in ourselves as well. Um, you know, a little contradictory, but then, you know, it, it makes sense. Um, and you studied in Catholic school. Mm-hmm. So I feel like you were, you know, exposed to so many different religions and ideologies from a young age. 
Um, and you categorized yourself as a nun, meaning, I mean, spelled N-O-N-E, so <laughs> to clarify. And um, and in the talk, you, you talk about how nuns, um, those who are, you know, unaffiliated, are they skew young. There's 56 million religious unaffiliated nuns. This was as of 2014. One third of the adults are between 18 to 33, and 68% of them believe there is a God. They just don't know who it is. So when you went on your spiritual journey, you're set out to find the meaning of life and you went on a spiritual pilgrimage. You're looking for answers. Um, you were in the mountains of Peru learning from shamans. You went to Burning Man. You practiced transcendental man- meditation, did laughing yoga in South Africa. Um, you convened with angels, saints, goddesses, witches, and faith healers like Amma, who is the mother who hugs. Um, and you even hired a medium to convene with the dead. I mean, just tell us <laughs> in a nutshell what this spiritual journey was like. I mean, yeah, I mean, just was, to live vicariously through you. <laughs> you know, it was it was a, it was a very authentic journey. I know it sounds like totally cuckoo doodle, like repeated <laughs> back in rapid succession, but it yeah. really was an authentic journey, and it took place over many, many years. Um, some might say forty-seven years, right? But it's yeah. you know, certainly over the past ten years since my daughter was born. Sure. Um, but the the genesis of it really was her birth when she was born almost 10 years ago um, I just realized I didn't know what I believed about religion and spirituality and the big questions in life that one could not Google an answer to right so things like what happens when you die is there a God how do you find happiness all those sorts of things um, and ironically I worked at Google at the time right so I was yeah. aware of Google yeah. and I was really used to people coming to me with questions and being able to answer them or find an answer if I didn't know the answer so that was my job that was my literal job and then I realized that one day this kid was going to ask me things that I wouldn't even know where to start because mm. I hadn't really thought about it even though in a weird way my whole life had been preparing me to start asking these kinds of questions because as you mentioned I had been raised with a lot of spiritual and religious traditions around me and none of it had really been forced on me so right. my family is very much Jan my parents practice um, but they don't push you know so as much as we were raised in a traditional household it wasn't a super religious household by any stretch they sent us to Catholic schools mentioned. Yeah. Um, so they were very open-minded about all these things my sister's married to a guy like it's you know we're very um, open in that yeah. way and I think because of that core belief of non-absolutism within the John religion uh, they really practice that as well yes so it wasn't until my daughter was born that I, that I was sort of thrown into this conundrum of like well I don't really know where to start mm-hmm. if she asked me these things and it suddenly took on this sort of, like super sense of urgency like I really needed to find answers for my kid right um, because that's what parents want to do yeah exactly like, yeah we're problem solvers yeah, yeah totally and mm-hmm. Anything for your kid, like, yeah. like whatever she needs, I'm gonna do that. Right. And she wasn't even asking the questions. Yeah. <laughs> you just like, want to be prepared. You know, yeah. I'm gonna be ready. I'm gonna do the research now. And so that's how I started the research and started the project. And it really started innocently as a project. I'm like, oh, I'm just going to go talk to this faith healer. I'm going to go attend this like random service. And a friend of mine told me about this guy who talks to angels and like whatever. I would just sort of do stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it's returned into a thing. And I would do something every month. And it became like a bit of a, um, you know, a conversation between my friends and colleagues where they'd be like, well, what are you up to this? And yeah. Like, well, I think I'm going to explore the teachings of so-and-so. And okay. I'll be like delighted and want to hear more. That's so cool. Um, and then I realized that just people were really 
really curious about it. So it just kind of evolved from there where it, uh, people started telling me about who they were looking at or what they were reading or their belief systems or the things that they had questioned in the past. And I realized that everybody was secretly looking and not talking about it. Sure. So I thought that was just really interesting. Yeah. Um, and then many years later, I ended up getting a book deal and wrote this book about my journey mm-hmm. or, you know, and, and my conclusions or lack there <laughs> depending on your perspective. Um, and then that turned into a TED talk and the rest, yeah. of, so the rest is history again. Yeah, no, absolutely. But is there something that you've, you know, unilaterally discovered that this is what was enlightening to me through that entire journey? Mm-hmm. Well, I don't have an answer about whether or not there's a God. Or yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, so sorry. I'm definitely not here to, to answer that question, yes. unfortunately. Um, otherwise, I would have my own podcast right. about that. But yeah, I exactly. I definitely don't have any answers. We could just um, dial in to him yeah, or her right now. Call, call me anytime. Um, no, I think what I what I did find is sort of, you know, the conclusion of the book and the TED Talk as well is that ultimately we all go about these different searches in so many different ways but we're all looking for the same things which in my research (laughs) turned out to be health happiness and love and that everybody is looking for those same three things and we're focusing so much on the things that divide us and the things that make us different as opposed to the things that really bind us together which is that common search Mm -hmm. and unfortunately that's sort of the root of all our problems absolutely and um what do you feel defines happiness for so many oh gosh what defines happiness yeah like how can you attain everybody's chasing this external uh this external fulfillment to make yes. them happy and i think sadly really sadly not not sadly but maybe unfortunately for them it really comes from inside so you right. have to do the work on your own you can't look for something else to make you happy yes nobody else is responsible for that yeah absolutely it's definitely not anything extrinsic yeah. um it's something that comes from within and um what is it that makes you feel truly happy mm. you know i feel i feel very lucky and blessed for the journey that i'm on you know mm. it's been a really fun ride to date and certainly not without its ups and downs but right. um i feel like directionally correct and i yes. feel like if, if something does happen i'm able to like pull myself back up and kind of dust off my knees and keep going um so i'm grateful for the strength to be able to do that and for the support system around me my husband and my daughter and parents my sister and my friends and family you know like yeah family to help me do all of that I feel really really lucky mm-hmm. um so and I work hard to maintain that community for sure um and I think that's you know that's kind of the the most one can hope yes absolutely you are such a seasoned speaker um and in one of the TEDx talks you gave um you encourage us to transform the norm mm-hmm. can you tell us what that means and how we can do that yeah so the the context of that talk was more around Warby Parker the idea of doing good um in business and so that the norm of business to date has always been a sort of bottom line of shareholder value and monetary mm. gain and that sort of thing that's a good one is that norm that baseline norm looks different right. and we start thinking about um you know other bottom lines as well and yes. so that was really the idea behind that mm-hmm. um and i think it's possible to do now i think it's possible to start a business with that idea of how do you do good in the world baked into whatever you're doing from the 
get going. I think honestly, that's the only way to do it in a truly authentic way and in a yes. way that will carry through the entire life cycle of your business. Absolutely. So keeping sustainability and really like impact and purpose in mind as yeah. you, as you, you know, grow an idea or venture. Yeah, absolutely. Because if it's important to you at the outset, it'll stay important to you, to, you know, throughout. And I think for anyone who's like, oh, well, when I get big, when I hit X million in revenue, when I have X number of employees, then I'll start caring about diversity. Then I'll start caring about the environment. Then I'll start caring about um, labor conditions in my factories or whatever. It's like, you're not gonna like just yes. start it now and do right. it from the get-go right? and make those tough decisions now, even when it's expensive. Yeah. And then set yourself up for that to always be the way you do business as opposed to waiting until it's so much harder to go back and make those changes. Mm-hmm. And then when nobody cares if you do, you know, right, because right. Then, and then it's, it's a lot harder to then be like, well, now I really don't care yeah. about these things. Exactly. And for your customers to believe you. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. It just comes off very inauthentic. Yeah. Um, do you feel like that's kind of the weed out process? Because everyone and their mother, given the podcast, <laughs> um, you know, has a startup idea. But to to really sustain, um, you know, it, it it's only just like that top percentage that actually uh, make an imprint, right? And so is there like something that sets them apart from the rest? That I think there's a lot of things that set people apart in terms of uh, successful entrepreneurship. Right. And I think, unfortunately, the, the playing field is really not level to begin with. Mm. And so uh, a lot of people who are hailed as heroes in the in the, uh, in the startup world, you know, they had a lot of advantages thrown yeah. their way in terms of familial support or the like to get their ideas off the ground, right? Yes. So they weren't paying rent or they were doing it out of their dorm room or out of their parents' basement or whatever. And like, that's that's a pretty big luxury to not have to have um, basic expenses met by a job, like yes. most of us, yeah. to be able to go out and start, you know, pursue your dream of a startup. So right. assuming that you've got, you know, a great idea or that they've actually got uh, the resources to pull something off. Um, beyond that, what really separates the the good from the not so great, I think, is does this idea really need to exist, right? Like, are you actually a solution in search of a problem or a problem in search of a solution? Wow. And I think a lot of what I see, unfortunately, is a solution in search of a problem. It's like, just because you have this idea doesn't mean it needs to exist in the world. And I think that's yes. really tough feedback for people. <laughs> but it's true. It's like, so the first thing I would suggest is really sit back and think, like, do I really need to make this company? Like, is right. this something that my solution is? is the only solution out there or the best solution out there and if no one else is doing it why not you know is right. it because nobody's thought about it is it because people have tried it and failed right. is it because it's not been well executed or you know like what are the reasons that it hasn't been done before Yeah, um, and really sit hard and think about you know like really think hard about that because exactly. it's a long road and once yeah. you start a business you, know, you have to be willing to put in years and years and years of tough work you know to not uh, to make it anything so yeah. just knowing that this is like this is the idea and this is something I'm willing to do this to the exclusion of everything else in my life right um, and go for it yeah absolutely I think you you definitely have to be very intentional and I love how you um, explained that like you know there there could be a ton of solutions but it's like are you really solving this problem yeah. and is it are, are you uniquely solving this problem in the best way possible because if there's an easier app or what have you out there than what you know yeah. what sets yours apart yeah yeah it's brilliant the TED Talk platform has garnered over 4 billion views with the 
Oscars tallying 29.6 million viewers. And you uh, mentioned the WWD. Ted is like the nerd red carpet for the Met Ball or Oscars. So just like your fashion choices matter on those stages, they can also matter on the TED stage. Um, and I love that you, you know, I guess like um, are so attuned to, to fashion and, you know, particularly a woman's fashion uh, choice when she's giving, you know, a large scale speaking engagement like that. So um, what do you find is something that female speakers should gravitate towards when it comes to their fashion decisions. Yeah, I think where's something you're really comfortable in and that you feel really like yourself in. Mm-hmm. You know, it was a funny article because uh, Women's World Daily, Women's Wear Daily reached out to me because I was wearing a designer that they were profiling, Maria Cornejo, who has now become a friend of mine because right. I wore her at TED. Right. Um, and she was being profiled in that piece uh, because a lot of women on the TED stage had worn her in a row. And so I think because of that, they sort of noticed this trend and then they were like, oh, well, why? do women wear Maria on the TED stage so they reached out to me for comment and I actually pulled something from my own closet to wear it's not like I was borrowing stuff from her it was just like a jumpsuit I bought at a sample sale for 300 bucks yeah Um, but it was because I felt great in it and I felt like myself and I felt comfortable and I knew I wouldn't be fussing with my clothes but I felt uh, pretty but I felt strong you know I felt like all the things I wanted to feel because I originally had bought something I had bought a pair of trousers and a blouse that's something really simple and these spiky spiky heels and it was ridiculous because the idea of wearing spiky heels like I don't wear I'm not 25 never, yeah and you never wear them maybe yeah, the regular I, anyway I would have been so uncomfortable my feet would have been killing me and I would have been <laughs> so conscious of what my feet were doing the entire talk that I would not have felt steady in my feet I almost wore gym shoes on the touch oh stage. cool yeah, I thought about it and I was like no that's probably you know, maybe I should like elevate a little bit yeah more. a little bit but so like, I'm whatever. Gonna, so I think <laughs> my advice to anyone who does a lot of speaking um, is just and to anybody really just anything you're doing just wear what you feel great and don't worry about what's so now tell us about your motherhood journey. Oh, my motherhood <laughs> journey was a bumpy one. So it's been wonderful since becoming a mother. But I went through multiple IVF cycles, failed IVF. Otherwise, I'd have a lot of kids running around. <laughs> but, um, I went through several miscarriages mm-hmm. before having Zia. And then once I got pregnant with Zia and carried her to term, my pregnancy was actually totally uneventful. So the journey up until that point was uh, was heartbreaking and full of missteps. Sure. Um, but then the journey once she got in there was pretty smooth touch one yeah and then since then you know again she'll be 10 in about a week and she's been a delight she's so fun yeah Uh, it's been really great i mean i'm i'm super spoiled she's i know all mothers probably say this about their kids but my kid really is the best kid yeah sorry for the other kids (laughs) my kid might be the best kid yeah she's like really good kid i'm really lucky yeah and you you feature her on social a lot she doesn't like like it i have to stop doing that I know, but I mean, it's it's nice to get a glimpse because she is so precocious and so strong-willed and, you know, she's a, a woman all her own, you yeah. know, in the making, which well, is... A little young lady all yes, her own. Yeah. I'm not a woman yet, yeah, exactly. yeah, She's only nine. She just looks tall. Right. Really tall. <laughs> right. Um, and I, I mean, you know, speaking of all things spiritual, I do believe that everything happens for a reason. Yeah. And so it was Zia that was meant to be your daughter. Yeah, so that, that is for sure true. And she... Yeah. She is a very strong-willed little kid. She held in there. So yeah. she, she is. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. What's her um, like dynamic like with you and your husband? Oh, she's really fun. She definitely, I think 
prefers my husband as a playmate. Uh. She used to call him Mama when she was a baby and then called me Papa, which oh, was interesting. super annoying and, like, in retrospect, adorable, but, like, really annoying at the time. Yeah. Um, and so they are attached to the hip. Like, they're total buds. And she gets her nerdy from her father and she gets her personality and, and like, charm from me. And yeah. Like, she gets yeah. her humor from me, we say. But That's cool. <laughs> yeah, no, she's a great kid. She's, I love she's a that. kid all her own. She's doing her own thing. Yes, yes. Oh, that's so awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, and what are some of the lessons that you hope to teach Zia and impress upon her? Well, probably similar to what my parents impressed upon me, right? It's like work really hard, mm-hmm. be kind, take your shoes off when you go home, <laughs> yes. you know, stay hydrated, that kind of stuff. I think um, wear sunscreen, you know, yeah, that's important. Yeah, Put sunscreen yeah. on your hands, also important. Okay. You know, that's where show age. Yeah, okay, um, yeah. <laughs> and your neck, too, that's important. Um, yeah, but I think if I can just show her how to be a kind person and demonstrate that, I think I'll do my job. Yeah. Everything else is kind of up to her. Yes, it's true. Um, you know, as the Dalai Lama said, you know, kindness is his religion. Oh, there you go. And I mean, I Dalai like, Lama. Yeah. <laughs> in common. Yes, exactly. So is there a point in time that you can share where you're like, I trust my mom's sense in that moment? I don't want to embarrass her, but yeah. there was a time when she had lied about something that was happening at school and the teachers were very, very concerned and they called me and they didn't know that she had lied. Like she was, there was this incident happening at school related to her. Right. So she was, it was like a victimless crime because she was the victim of this made up crime. Okay. And then um, as she was telling me the story, I was like, so mad. And I was okay. like, oh my God, I think she's lying and I think she's the one who wow. has committed this crime. You know, and so... Wow. And I didn't say anything How to the you teacher. figure that out? It was just so I don't know. It just because the whole thing just didn't add up, and the teachers, to their credit, were being so deferential to her, and they're like, "Oh, you know, we'll figure it. We'll get to the bottom of it. Yeah, what's going on?" It was sort of like a light bullying incident. Okay, and I was like, "I don't, I don't buy it. Yeah. Like, there's no way this is going on." So I, I basically got a confession out of her because oh, I was right. But it, yeah, and my husband was mortified. He's like, "Why would you? Why would you even think that she was mine? Right. Why would you say that?" I was like, "Because I know her. And yes. there's no way this does not." make sense first of all she's not the kind of kid that somebody would bully in this way like okay. the, the, the specific situation just didn't make sense yeah but also the way she was telling the story I was like there's no way so my mom's sons definitely kicked in there you go but then I had to like have her apologize yes. to the teachers and like go through a whole thing she will never do that yeah she will yeah. never pull that again but let's not forget our quote of the day is there a quote that you live by? Um, there's a David Bowie quote that I love, uh, which is, I don't know where I'm going from here, but I promise I won't be boring. That's great. That's one of my favorites. Yes. And it won't be. I mean, I feel like the way that you've lived your life up until now um, is just, it's so inspiring because you ask those questions and you're, you're seeking that growth and it shows. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's now time for Mom Hall, when we share products we love. So is there a product, um, it could be even one of the ones, the companies you're working for, that you are just absolutely loving right now and want to share? It's like talking to your girlfriends. Um, Gia Penta for lingerie. Mm-hmm. It's like La Perla meets technical sportswear. It's really great stuff. It's oh, so wow. comfortable. I'm not a lingerie connoisseur yeah. until I started advising this company and I absolutely love what she's doing. Um, so definitely check that out, especially because it's like the perfect way to feel like a little sexy, yeah. but then but comfortable. Yes. Yeah, it's really Really, really, really great stuff. Um, I'm loving skincare by both Pratima and Infiore. Like mm-hmm. anything from them, all natural, really clean 
ingredients, all botanical. I've been doing it for years. And yes. Just beautiful products. My skin feels amazing. I love all of their stuff. Of course, where can my audience find you? Oh, uh, you can find me on Twitter where I mostly tweet random stuff about Donald Trump right now. So apologies <laughs> in advance. That's uh, at Anjali Kumar or on Instagram at Anjali Kumar. Great. Yeah, but thank you so much. My it was an absolute pleasure. honor to meet you oh, and to have you on the so show. Sweet. Thank you for thank having you. me. How amazing was that episode? Anjali is a wealth of knowledge and to think she spends so much of her life being curious and wanting to learn more is truly remarkable. I hope you got some great takeaways from her. I want to thank you all for leaving your reviews on um, Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, Stitcher, all the platforms that you're listening to That's Total Mom Sense on. I wanted to share one of the reviews now, um, and it was by Lisa, and she writes, great podcast. I love it. Great interviews, awesome guests, and Kanika does a great job of asking amazing questions. Perfect podcast for moms. Lisa, thank you. Thank you for being a fan and a supporter. It's listeners like you that keep me going. Um, and I'm so, so happy to have you in my corner. If there's a topic or pain point that you're grappling with and you want me to cover, write to me at that's total mom sense at gmail.com. Um, I read all of your messages and respond to them. And I really, really appreciate the human connections that I get, um, with my audience. So thank you. Thank you for that. Be sure to follow me on Instagram. It's at Kanika XOXO and um, check out my website for updates on the podcast and events that I'm doing. Um, and that's that's totalmomsense.com. Remember, always trust your mom sense. Stay strong, super mamas. See you next time. That's total mom sense.